God has called us as the church uh, to be overcomers, to have an impact in this world that that would see people move from being in darkness to being in light. In Romans chapter 8, we kicked off this year with this transformation pathway, talking about the fact that God has called us to be transformed into the image, be conformed into the image of Jesus. It's not just his desire for us as the church, but that he would see every person. Bible says that, that God doesn't desire that any should be perished, but that all should come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so as the church, we have a mandate and a calling to go into the world and display that love. So we started last week, we kicked it off with the Overcoming Fellowship uh, last week, just talking about who we are as the church. Made this statement, talked about going to a pep rally when I first moved to the U.S., uh, to the United States. I'd, I'd never been to a pep rally in my life, and it was the most awesome thing I'd ever experienced in my whole life. I thought it was the coolest thing. I'd, I'd made the statement I could have floated right out of that gym because it was just so cool. But the reality is a pep rally is not the game. It's just that, a pep rally. That Sunday mornings and being together in churches is good. It's designed to build us up. But this isn't the game. It's more important for us to be the church out there than it is for us to be the church in here. Because it's easy to do here. We can, we can fake it, right? We can smile and put on our Sunday best and come in and go, Hey, brother, how are you? Oh, I'm blessed. God is good. But that's not enough. God says we need to be the church out in the world. Well, yesterday I got to go to another kickoff event at Glendora High School. Our son is playing football for the Glendora Tartans. Uh, we're looking forward to a great season of football. Uh, and, and so every year they do this kickoff event. And, and we got to go and watch a scrimmage in the, in the varsity team. And the, the JV and the freshmen played. And they had a barbecue. And there were games and prizes and all kinds of stuff going on. And we, we had an absolute uh, blast well, here's what I was noticing uh, as I was watching the players. Actually, I was just watching Blake. I didn't care about any other players. But, but, but here's what I, I was noticing as they were playing the game. In football, it's so important that you have a good stance, right? Any football players in the house? Right? You played maybe once upon a time, not necessarily right now. You played once upon a time. Right? And I, I might get the terminology wrong because I wasn't a football player. I played the other kind of football where you actually play with your foot. Anyway. Um, right? Thank you, Isaac. Right? It's our, our African heritage there, a little soccer. You come up to the line, you get in your formation, and then you don't just kind of like hang out going, okay, waiting for the snap. Because if you do, you will be dead, right? You're just going to get pummeled every time. So the players get up, and they get set. They get their feet set. You know, if they're on the line, they're down on the ground. If you're a linebacker, you're, you're ready, right? You're watching. I was, again, I was watching Blake, who's a line. I'm going to brag as a dad a little bit this morning. Um, he, he's watching, and I was just watching. He's a linebacker, so he's like, okay, what's the play? Are they going to run or are they going to pass? What's going on? And he's just constantly watching, and his feet are ready. His hands are out, and he's ready to, to make the tackle, to put the hurt on someone, right? The stance is important. This morning's message for us as a church is us getting our stance set. 
So imagine in your mind today, that's what we're doing. As I, as I preach this message, what I'm asking you to do as you receive the word of God is to set your stance and say, okay, I'm ready. Okay, so I might be talking about things that you're like, well, I'm familiar. I've heard this sermon before. You might even think that, and you probably have. I've preached sermons just like this before. But here's the thing. When it comes to sports and winning in sports, it's the foundation stuff that's important, right? It's the basics that win games. It's, the, it's going back to those drills that you do over. So as, as a part of a sports team, yes, you show up at practice. The Seattle Seahawks or my team, the New York Giants, who that's not really a good place to brag, but um, they show up at camp and they show up at practice and they're making millions of dollars to play a game. And guess what the coach does? He makes them do drills. He drills the fundamentals in because... We have to be familiar with the stance. We have to be ready to play the game. So that's what this morning is all about. So are you ready? All right. Okay. Five of you. Are you ready this morning? All right. Here we go. I gave a definition of the church last week that I want to read again. This is something my friend actually wrote, and I loved it so much. I was like, I'm taking it. We're going to use it. Let's get that up on the screen. It says this. The church is a community of people called out from every nation on earth to display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature, God's ways, God's truth, and God's truth to all who live on earth so that they might turn to him and live. Okay, the yellow words are not a mistake. I'm not colorblind much. Um, They're the emphasis. Let's read this together out loud. You ready? We're going to do it out loud together, starting on three. One, two, three. The church is a community of people called out from every nation on earth to display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature, God's ways, and God's truth to all who live on the earth so that they might turn to him and live. And live. It's what Jesus did for us. That Jesus came from heaven to earth, sent by his Father to come and demonstrate the love of God, the nature of God, the character of God, so that we would see him and turn to him and live. That's who we are. So that. And that so that, in this statement, becomes critical for us as a church to lay a hold of. There is purpose behind who and what we are. That we are not here just to occupy Sunday mornings. To play church, as some would say. That there is a purpose behind who we are. And that purpose is that people would live. That they would see Jesus and live. This week I want to talk about the love of God. Not just the love of God, but I want to talk about the prophetic witness of his love. The prophetic witness of the love of God as displayed in his people. We are his people. And his love in us reveals who we are. That God's agape love is foundational to us, to who we are as a people. And, 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 and when his agape, his love is a part of who we are, it reveals who we are 
to the world. But here's the problem. There's a human version of love and a heavenly version of love. And they're not the same thing. Far from it. You might have noticed, if you watch the news or listen to talk radio, that there's a presidential election coming up. And there's all kinds of stuff going back and forth and comparisons and polls and name-calling and bad haircuts and all kinds of stuff happening. (laughs) And here's what you're going to hear for the next season, right? We've got about a year to go. And what we're going to hear over and over and over and over again is this. When I am president... Blah, 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 blah. When I'm president, this is what I'm going to usher in. When I'm president, this is what I'm going to do. When I'm president, I'm not going to be like that knucklehead that came before me. I'm going to change everything. We're going we're gonna to dig ourselves out of this hole, which is an oxymoron, by the way. Um, we're going we're gonna to do things like they've never been. We're going to usher this, 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 this country into a new season, into a new destiny. When I'm president and promises are made, and then when we see a president get elected, they do their inaugural speech where they say now that I'm president here's the promises here's what I'm going to do and they paint a picture of what's coming and here's what politicians do here's what the way of the world does it appeals to what people want it appeals to what people want and so politicians and advertising and businesses and Sometimes even us. We say things to people based on what we think they want in order to motivate them in a certain direction. It's called manipulation. And no one enjoys that. No one's going to willingly go, hey, I want to be manipulated. Please manipulate me. But it happens every day. Jesus, during his inaugural address, and he had one, you might be going, what, he, he had one of those? Yes, he did. In Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made statements about his rule and his reign and his kingdom. But his statements were not about what people wanted. His statements were all about what God wants, what the Father is looking for, the standards that the Father have set, has set, and the things that he's calling not... Not, not appealing to what we want, but calling things out of us and calling us into. I made that statement last week that we're people called out of and called into. That we're called from sin to forgiveness and to life. We're called from death to life, light to darkness. Jesus, I mean, God called Abram to leave his land and go to a new place. He called the Israelites out of Egypt into a promised land. He calls us from living in death to living in life. We're called out and we're called into. God is calling us into something amazing. And Jesus talks about this here in Matthew chapter 5. In fact, if you want to turn your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, 1 Corinthians 13 and 1, 1 John 4 is where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 5, the words will be up on the screen as well. Jesus says these words, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, 
Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Jesus loved sarcasm, by the way. He threw things in. Sometimes you're like, oh yeah, huh? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You have heard, he starts out, you have heard. What he's saying is there is a way in this world, in the world around us that you've heard about. It's been advertised. If, if there was the internet and TV and radio and Jesus, Jesus' day, he would have said, hey, you've seen it on TV. You've heard it on the radio. In his context, he's just saying, listen, there's a ruling way of thinking that prevails in the world. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And then he contrasts and he says, but I tell you, I'm bringing something else to the table. I'm introducing a way of thinking that is contrary, is opposite to the way that the world thinks. There's a humanly acceptable kind of love. There's a love that exists in this world that the world has just generally said, yeah, that's good. That works. That's okay. If it's good for you, way to go. I'm not going to challenge that. I'm not going to stand in your way as long as you're not hurting people. And it's false. The human, humanly acceptable kind of love that's conditional says, I will love you if. I will love you if. Fill in the blank. We've all been there. I will love you if. It's selfish. The human, humanly acceptable way of love is selfish. I love because I want. I made the statement when talking about sellers. No strings attached. We know when we're being loved with strings attached, when there's an expectation on the other side, don't we? Don't you? God says that this humanly acceptable kind of love is selfish. You know, it's easy. Jesus says... Even the tax collectors do that. It's not hard to love people who love you. It's not hard to people love people that don't rub you know that 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 don't rub you the wrong way or give you what you want. Right? It's easy. But Jesus says this He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you think it's a loving thing that the sun rises in the morning? That God designed the world and the universe in such a way that the sun would rise in the morning? Is that loving? Absolutely. Is it loving to have rain? Yeah, we could use a little of that love, right? Come on. It's a loving thing. And God said, Jesus says, my father causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous, on the wicked, and and my rain to fall on those who are wicked and, and, and the good. I got those backwards. You get the point. Yet we step in and say, you know what, it's conditional and it's selfish and it's easy. 
I'm just going to love people who love me and those people that don't have time for me. Well, guess what? I don't have time for you either. Tit for tat. You know that, that the Bible has, there's no karma in the Bible. There's no karma. You, know, you don't get what you deserve. It's the very opposite. You get exactly what you don't deserve. It's called grace. The humanly acceptable kind of love is convenient. It's convenient. I love you when it's easy for me to love you, and if it's not, well, too bad for you. You're not going to be on the receiving end of my love. I'll just keep it. And here's the sad thing. It's widely accepted. That in conversations with people, well, you know, that person, they hurt me. And you know what? I'm not going to, I'm going to reject them. I'm, I'm unfriending them on Facebook <laughs> because they hurt me. And we stand with each other and go, you know, you're right. You should because they, des- they, they don't deserve you. And that there is nothing in the heart of God that would say that's acceptable or okay. But in the world, we go, no, that's fine. That's fine because you know what? They, they get their just desserts. They get what's coming to them. God says, no, 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 no. It's a kind of love that kind of make, that makes sense to everyone. And it is possible to give without God's help. You can love in a human way, in a worldly way, and you don't need God's help to do it. You can just do it in your own strength. It's a kind of love that reveals nothing about the kingdom of God. That when we love according to the world, there's nothing of the kingdom of God that is displayed in evidence to the world around us. Jesus talks about a kind of love that's better and bigger, a heavenly acceptable kind of love. It's a kind of love that doesn't make sense to the world, and you can't give it without his help. You have heard it says, love your na- said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, the world. But I tell you, introduce God, my kingdom, my Father's kingdom. This is what it looks like in, in my Father's kingdom. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Okay. Let's unpack this statement. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, because if you do, you will be known as sons of your Father in heaven. If you don't, you won't. If you do not love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, you will not be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. That's heavy, but it's truth. It's not easy. It doesn't make sense. And you can't do it without his, without his help. But when you do, when you love this way, it reveals everything of the kingdom of God to the world around us. That God's kingdom is seen in his people. And when they see it, they turn to him. And what happens? They live. They live. The word teleos, complete, in there. God's called us to be a perfected or a, 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 a complete people. In fact, Mike, we're going to stick up the, the second part of that verse. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect, teleos in the Greek, complete, not lacking anything. God says to us as his church, as his bride, be perfect. Perfect. 
tall order? Absolutely. Is there any wiggle room? Any loopholes? Any ways out? None. Zero. Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God is calling us to agape, a perfect kind of love. A love that doesn't look like the world. A love that looks everything like his kingdom. That's who we are supposed to be as the church. So there's a heavenly kind of love and a human kind of love. We need to embrace the heavenly kind of love. So what is the attitude of heaven's love? Did you know that love can have an attitude? Right? You've been on the receiving end of love with an attitude. Right? Maybe you've had an argument with your spouse and you're like, I love you. Right? Or you make up and, and it's, but you're still smarting a little bit. Okay, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. Honey, I love you. Yeah, I love you too. That's attitude, right? Love can have an attitude. God's love has an attitude. 1 Corinthians 13. We've all heard this before. I'm going to read it out of the ESV version. I like the way that it's translated here. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If you're not squirming in your chair... Well, you should be. Because every time I read this, I'm like, oh, man, really, Lord? Love is patient and kind. We pride ourselves in a, as a nation on our rights. In fact, it's one of the things that sets us apart in our nation is, is our rights. Our Bill of Rights is something amazing politically around the world. And, it, and it's done something for our nation of of uh, establishing freedoms that we enjoy. It's our right to gather in this place and worship. It's our right. But I think in, to a certain degree, it's kind of messed us up as well because we've become a nation of rights. It's my right. And so I just insert the word, my right, before anything. And then you can't argue with me because it's my right. It's my right, it's my right, it's my right. Can I just tell you that the kingdom of God is not a democracy, it's a theocracy. And God tells us what's right. That's the truth part right there. Not to keep us under his thumb, but to bring peace and joy and love and patience and all of the fruit of the Spirit to bear in our lives. He tells us what's right. So I want to, out of 1 Corinthians 13, I want to give you... Some things that are not your right anymore as the church. You ready? All right. Because of what 1 Corinthians 13 says, I will never have the right to be mean or unkind to someone else. Ever. You give up that right when you say yes to Jesus. I will never have the right to compare myself to others to justify my attitude. You no longer have that right. I will never have the right to be rude to someone else for any reason. None. 
right? Because love is not rude. It's not rude. I will never have the right to blow off someone else's thoughts and wishes. I will never have the right to act irritated and with resent or disdain. You give up that right when you come to Jesus Christ. I will never have the right to rejoice in getting even or in someone's getting a taste of his or her own medicine. You don't have that right as followers of Christ. I will never have the right to write people off. Jesus didn't do that to us. God didn't write us off. And so we have no place to write anyone off. Ever. We'll never have the right to declare that someone is beyond hope or help. Ever. That we do not have that right. God doesn't do it to us. We can't do it to other people. I will never have the right to believe someone is no longer deserving of love. That that would break our hearts to even think that we would look at someone and say, they're not deserving of love. Because on the other side of that, God is saying, I loved you when you were a sinner. I loved you when you hated me. I loved you when we were enemies. And he made a way for that love to be funneled and channeled into our lives so that we would live to be the full recipients. As the church, we've given up our rights. We've given up the rights that we hang on to in this world that are conditional, that are easy, the way of love that says it's about me, not about you. We've cut the strings and said, you know what? It's not selfish. It's not self-serving. It's all about who God is. This is the attitude of God's love, of heaven's love. This is agape. And I want to use the word agape more than I do the word love because love is just, it's lost, it's lost its savor sometimes. But agape that God agapes you and he calls you to agape each other and he calls you to agape the world. That's who we are as the church. That's what he's called us to. That's what we're supposed to be. The attitude of heaven's love. Not only is there an attitude of heaven's love, there's an evidence of heaven's love. If you asked me to prove that I was a U.S. citizen, what I would do is I would take this little book out and I'd say, oh, this is my proof right here. It's got my picture in it. It's got all my information. got some stamps from some traveling that I've done. Allow me to, to come and go. But if you wanted evidence, this is the evidence I would give. I would say, I'm a U.S. citizen because this book says I am. And you can't argue with that. I know that I'm a U.S. citizen because uh, a year ago I was naturalized. I wasn't born a U.S. citizen. I went through a process to become a citizen just like you went through a process to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You weren't born a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You were born into sin. You were born into the other place. God says, but I've saved you and I've redeemed you and I've made you my son and you are now citizens of heaven. But can I ask you, 
If someone were to ask for your, your evidence of being a citizen of heaven, what would you do? Would you show them a Bible? Hey, this is my evidence. Because if you do, you're wrong. But that's what we do a lot as the church. In fact, when we talk about agape, unfortunately the church in America has become known more for what it's against than what it's for. That we stand in opposition to people, not in a place of agape. Now it doesn't mean we compromise who we are. We can't compromise his word. But believers, the church, not the institution, the people have been known And our nation are known as being belligerent and argumentative and puffed up and arrogant and in your face and out of touch. And and you know what? They're not wrong. They say most stereotypes are true. They come from somewhere. For some people, you'd say, well, you're a Christian. Well, yes, I've got a bigger Bible than you do. And it's in a better translation than yours. Right? You know what I'm talking about. These are not the same. Some people would tell you how much they know. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I've memorized half the Bible. So? Because you're kind of a jerk about it. (laughs) Right? Don't tell me what you know. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I'm just going to shout you down because you know what? You're not deserving of an answer because you're a dirty, filthy sinner. And I shouldn't even be talking to you. Is that the evidence of being a citizen of the kingdom of God? Far from it. Far from it. No, John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Love one another. That's it. Agape one another. By this, all. And by all, he means all. Everyone, the whole world, the believing world and the unbelieving world, the saved world and the unsaved world, the righteous and the heathen alike, that when we live agape, everyone looks at us and says, you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now, they might not know those words, but they're going to look at you and go, what is it about your life? There is something different. You don't behave like other people do. You don't react the way that other people do. You don't respond the way that other people do. Your marriage isn't like other marriages. What is it about you? You know what they're seeing? They're seeing the evidence of your citizenship, and they don't even know it, but they like it, and they want it. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Jesus gives us a new commandment. And his new commandment supersedes every other law and rule ever given in Scripture. 
that agape cancels everything else. Jesus is saying here, if you get agape, you don't need the law. You don't need the rules. I tell you what, right now, there, and we've heard for years now, this fight to keep the Ten Commandments up on the courthouse. I, I get it. But you know what? Who cares if it's painted on the courthouse and not lived out in people's lives? A stone tablet never saved anyone. And so we get worked up as Christians. Oh, you're taking away my right. No, you don't have any rights. You don't have any rights. You're commanded to love and that's it. And Jesus says if you will agape, you don't need the Ten Commandments because people will look at your life and go, I want what you have. See, it's about stopping forcing people into a relationship with Jesus and living such a life that they come running and saying, I want that. See the difference? I'd rather be on that side. When we lived in Anchorage, uh, they built a golden corral. Everyone, anyone ever been to a golden corral? Um, in the winter, which is like two-thirds of the year in, in Alaska, um, people just go out to eat because there's really nothing else to do. They built a go- golden corral. The line, they didn't really have to advertise. They, it was right in the middle of town. The line for that restaurant for a month literally went around the block. That restaurant made $900,000 its first month, which is insane. It's insane. They put up a sign on the street, big, big sign, built their building, and people came running. You know that what we have is better than Golden Corral? (laughs) Right? That when we display Jesus in our lives through agape, not through a t-shirt... Come on, I'm not against Christian t-shirts, but I am against things that, it drives me nuts when I see cliche knockoffs, right? Instead of Sprite, it's spirit, is he in you? The world looks at that and goes, it doesn't even make sense. When you have a Christian bumper sticker on your car, a church bumper sticker on your car, but you drive like, well, you know. The bumper sticker just reinforces the way of this world. It just builds up that animosity. God's called us to live it out for us to be evidenced in the way we live through agape, a new commandment, agape each other. And listen, this is the person who gave this commandment. It's the person that was accused wrongfully, arrested beaten and tortured, rejected by the people closest to him, not by his enemies, but by his friends. One day singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and the very next day saying, crucify him. But Jesus' attitude was agape. Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. The heart of agape out of Jesus' mouth while he hung on the cross. And when he died, the people walked away. We read this week in our journaling. Walked away and said, surely he was the son of God. Because in the moment they saw there's something different about him. People don't die like that. 
And because of the agape and the strength of God and his Holy Spirit in Jesus, he showed something different. When you agape, your identity will be evident. You will be known for something. You're supposed to be known for something. Finally this morning, actually not finally because we're out of time. So we'll pick it up next week. We'll, we'll kick it off next Sunday with the confidence of heaven's love. See, because you might be sitting there right now like, but I'm not perfect, Pastor Barry. I'm not perfect. It says be perfect like my heavenly Father's perfect, but I'm not perfect. No, but you're loved. You're agape God says the only reason you can even give it is because you've received it. The only reason you can love this way is you're on the receiving end. So when God says be perfect, it's not an impossible task. He's not causing you to, calling you to strive and work harder. He's just saying you're already the recipient of everything that heaven has to give. Just receive it. But when you get it, then give it. Don't hold on to it and say this is mine. Little golem there, right? It's my precious. You can't have it. But I tell you what, I see Christian golems all the time. It's mine. No, it's not. It's meant to be given away. Would you stand with me this morning? You've all seen, whether you know it or not, you would all be able to recognize whether you, you, you would verbalize it or vocalize it or not, You've seen the difference between a child that is loved well and a child that is neglected and abused. See, the, the child that's loved, that's cared for, is confident, right? Stands sure of who they are and their identity. Know that there's protection and grace and mercy and, and a place called home. A child that's not loved grows up unsure of themselves struggling, never knowing kind of what's, what's, where they're at, what's going on in their lives, what kind of environment they're walking into. It's not hard to see the contrast. The awesome thing is this, it doesn't matter where you grew up, what kind of home you grew up in, that the love of God can meet these needs. I, I, I say that and paint that illustration or give that illustration because we all come from somewhere in the human kind of love. You've probably been on the receiving end of some unloving behavior in your life. In fact, I, I could guarantee that every one of us has been impacted by that. But I'm also pretty confident that every one of us has loved the human kind of way and loved or unloved people based on our rights. But when we talk about the church and what God's calling us to be as a body of believers, he's saying to us, would you go and would you agape each other? And would you agape the world in such a way that they will be confident, not unsure, that they would know that there's protection and value that's imparted to them because of the love of God evidenced in your life. Church, we have it to give. And not just a bit, but big time. 
this Wednesday, we get to take brunch to the teachers at Sellers. And, and we're not going to say on big sign, hey, God, we agape you, because they'd be like, well, that's weird. What does that even mean? You agape me, huh? But we know what we're doing. And we'll have something on the table that says, thank you for everything we do. We're praying for you. And we're going to show the agape love of God to the teachers and the staff and the principal of the school so that they know, hey, there's a body of believers. God's church right here on this campus that says, we care about you. And we're going to sit back and see, what God, what do you do in their lives? So that you get the glory. Why? So that people would see God and turn to Him and live. I can't think of anything more awesome to be a part of. Amen? So Father, this morning, Lord, I declare over new community, Lord, that, that we will not be a church that plays church. And God, I thank you that we have a, a rich heritage of standing on the truth. And loving well. But Lord, as we even move forward, we want more. We just want more. We want more of your love, your agape to saturate our lives. God, I pray first and foremost that we would be on the receiving end of your love. Lord, for those this morning who feel unlovely and unloved and not deserving of your love. Father God, would you break through those walls. Break those chains, Lord. Remove the lies that would say, God doesn't love you. The yes but. That every one of us would leave today confident in this. Confident in this. That we are loved by God. With an unfailing, never-ending, perfect kind of love. But then, Lord, I pray that you would fill us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your agape. Help us to love the way you want us to love. Help us to set what we think our rights are aside. God, I pray you give us, every one of us, this opportunity that we would have the chance to love someone we consider an enemy. And Lord, that we wouldn't fail the test. We rely on you. We can't love without your help. We can't love without you standing with us. And we can only love because you first loved us. I want to ask you three questions as I close. Has your love for people been a strength in your strength rather than in God's? Has your love for people, those closest to you, and everywhere else, has your love for people been in your strength or in God's? Have you given yourself the right to be unloving to certain people in your life? And have you really received the love of God in your heart? As you go today, would you give some time to those questions? between you and the Lord and let him minister to you. Let him do, bring about any change that needs to be brought. Our prayer team is going to come forward. They're available. If you need to pray with someone, 
you need someone to agree with you in prayer, if you remind you that you were loved by the Lord, they would love to pray with you this morning. Do you have any other prayer requests, any other prayer needs? They're available for that too. We'd love to partner with you in prayer. As you go today, would you tell someone that they are loved to give them a big hug? Invite someone to lunch today and we'll look forward to seeing you not just next week, but in three weeks for our fall kickoff. God bless you as you go.